I'll turn with me to, in your Bibles, if you have them, Exodus chapter 20. We are continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. We are nearing the end. Uh, uh, we are looking at chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are nearing the end, and I hope you're not uh, falling asleep towards the end. You know, we're on commandment nine. I hope they're not running together. Um, Shouldn't be. We're just gearing up here in in commandment number nine. I actually think these last five, starting six, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. These have to uh, really to do about how we should function as a community. What, What do we need as a community to have a healthy community uh, for the flourishing of uh, the people of God and of society. And I, I really think this one may be, oh, yeah, don't lie. I really think if you um, are looking at the health of any community, I would say this is probably the most important one. You say, Pastor, what about do not kill? Yeah, do not kill. You know, that, that, you know it's important not to be killing one another. That's kind of funny. Um, but lying. Any community that is founded on lies, where lying is accepted and the norm, it is utterly destructive to the entire community. It's bad when a person feels comfortable kill another person. But it is unstable. It destroys the community if lies and deception are the foundation on which it's built. Your family cannot stand if it is built on lies, if deception is at the core of it. Um, To not have the truth. Society and communities are founded on being able to have the truth. Um, And so for us to think about lying, this is not just about telling a 10-year-old to tell the truth and about white lies and different things. This really gets to the heart of, I believe, the Gospels we'll see, uh, but also the health of our families and our communities and our churches. Um, so I hope we're not getting fatigued as we're nearing the end of the Ten Commandments because this one is, is gravely important. Um, <laughs> as we think about our three-fold kind of pattern we've been looking at, what does this mean for Israel? This is one where it's, it's actually worded great that we can tell the real original content and intent of the commandment for Israel. As much as we, we're going to talk about what this means for us personally, for Israel, the commandment is obviously stated this had in view speaking the truth publicly, mainly in court cases, bearing false witness. This one translates really well, and really court cases, although they wouldn't have had the building that we have today, really lined up how they happened back thousands of years ago. You know, you may have a, a Israelite may have a problem with their neighbor. Maybe um, he's farming on my land or some of our goats got mixed up and he took too many or, you know, someone struck someone and we need to get restitution. Things that happen today. And what they would do back then is simply gather some witnesses. They would uh, gather the family. They'd go before the elder or elders uh, of the community and, and they'd make a judgment between them. And so the, the commandment here, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, really has in view those situations where you might be tempted to stretch the truth. You might be tempted to say, no, that w- those are my sheep when that's not actually the case. Um, to bear false witness against a neighbor, what the true intent for Israel was in this commandment 
was to say, you have to tell the truth when you go to court. When you're bringing a charge against your neighbor, or when your neighbor's bringing a charge against you, you can't lie about it. You can't stretch the truth. You need to bear true witness in those situations. Really, the, the, the intent for Israel was the, the concern uh, for Israel in commandment number nine that God would have is that God's people would be one where justice prevailed. Truth and justice go together. The court systems, people would experience grave injustice if people were lying in their prosecution of one another, even in ancient Israel. Um, so this commandment, bear false witness, really has in view that God's people have to be a just people. The God's people, um, God's community, for the health of the community, they have to have access to fairness and equality and justice. Um, and to do that, when you go to court, you have to tell the truth. Otherwise, it does not work. And you cannot be God's people without justice. To serve and to represent a holy God meant that fairness and justice had to be the rule of the land for God's people. Uh, so they must tell the truth. Now, uh, the Old Testament does, uh, you know, this commandment, strictly speaking, is talking about bearing false witness against a neighbor in, in a situation like that. But the Old Testament obviously does outlaw lying in any case. Uh, we're not just thinking about court cases. And we actually read the passage last week, but it bears repeating in Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, you should not steal, you should not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. Um, that, and whether you're bringing a case, that's a really important level. We got that. I mean, if you're perverting the systems of justice uh, to benefit yourself, that is a huge break against the community. But in any regard, you're not supposed to lie uh, to your neighbor. Um, as we think about this, there's one more thing we need to really realize about Israel and the ancient culture. I've talked a little bit about this before. Um, but they understood the power of our words. They understood the power of what we say, so that if you are lying, it is a big deal, not only because the harm it does, but that your words matter and very important. In fact, the way I can illustrate this is, I, this is one of my favorite things to live, learn in Hebrew classes. It's probably the only thing I remember in, from Hebrew class. Uh, and so you, you'll go to Hebrew class today. But my professor said, hey, have you ever heard of abracadabra? I was like, oh, yeah, abracadabra. You know, the magician uh, waves his hand over the hat and says, abracadabra, and pulls out a white bunny from the hat, right? Um, I said, abracadabra, all grown up. <coughs> Do you know you're speaking Hebrew? When you say abracadabra, actually, I have a slide uh, to help us illustrate. Uh, the Hebrew actually is the words that basically transliterate. Um, <coughs> we might have a slide; it may not be working. That's okay. It really transliterates to "I create as I speak." Bara is the word for creation. It's the Hebrew word of creation. And uh, kadaber is actually D-A-V-A-R. V's and B's is word to speak. I create as I speak. For ancient Israel, and this is what I, I want us to understand. For ancient Israel, 
They really believed the words that you said and used were powerful to really create your world, your reality, right? And so we can just think about Genesis 1, when God speaks and the world is created, they just said, duh, that's how you create. Words are that powerful, especially if you're God, you're the divine being, that when God speaks, things come into creation. But they even understand that, well, humans couldn't do that. When we use words, we are forming the way we live. We are forming the reality we live in. And in fact, their word for word and thing are the same thing, right? Um, and so if I want to say, hey, that thing, it's the same word for word. Because they, they solve a connection between the words that we say and the reality we live in, that it really shapes. So what we say matters at least they understood that for ancient Israel in a bigger way than just, oh, I may hurt somebody or different things like that. That our words carry great power to influence. And I think that we, you know, sometimes self-help people kind of say this, and I'm not really big into self-help. There's one self-help plan that I really get on board with. It's called the gospel. Um, but... Uh, so anybody else is just a derivative of that, right? But some of some self-helps talk about, you know, oh, don't say negative things because it, well, there's, there's just some honest biblical truth in that, right? I'm going to pick on you, Dennis. I, I planned this, too. I, I, was, I was writing my sermon this week. I said, I'm going to pick on Dennis. Judy's in the back. I can't pick on her. <laughs> We're getting, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But if I walk around saying, you know, Dennis is a great guy. If I just go around and say, Dennis, did you know Dennis did? Speaking to Sharon, Dennis is a great guy. Even when I'm not there, people around are like, oh, Dennis is a great guy. You know, yeah. People are going to start thinking that way. If I walk around, though, saying, you know, Dennis, oh, man, he's mean. He's a bad guy. You better watch out for Dennis. He'll get your lunch money, right? <laughs> Without me being around or you ever having met Dennis, you'll see him and you'll start going like this. Amen. So the words that we use do create the reality in which we live. They are powerful with how we speak, right? Amen. So that's just kind of a common sense thing, but that it comes out to play. And Israelites, ancient Israelites understood that in a powerful way. That the words I speak, abracadabra, as I speak... I create. I create the word. Anybody think we're going to hear abracadabra in the sermon today? Um, it's true. For, so for ancient Israel to lie, it destabilizes the community and the, the people of God in a powerful way, especially in the justice system. And that's why it was such a powerful um, commandment to break if they dared do that. <laughs> All right, so what does this protect us from? Well, it should be obvious, we've just been talking about it, it really protects justice and fairness. And I think uh, even in our today's world and culture, we need to remember uh, that truth, we need truth. Um, and that truth always doesn't feel good. Truth always doesn't line up with what we want. That's why we're tempted to lie. That's why we're tempted to, to stretch to the truth, because we want the world, we want reality to line up with what we want. It's a selfish desire. Um, but we need uh, this commandment protects us from injustice. Um, 
I think a society gets really in dangerous territory when people would rather hear what they want to hear than the truth. Um, when we want to hear facts, when we want to hear news that only reinforces what we want to hear, a society is on shaky ground. A society is on very shaky ground when truth is condemned as lies. When the truth is so hard to hear, we want to shut truth down, right? We will always need to hear things we don't like from different opinions. None of us are omniscient to have a healthy society. But when we start trying to shut that down, this is what dictators do. Dictators say, no, I'm not going to hear any opposition. I'm not going to hear any fake news, right? Truth is hard to hear sometimes, but societies need it. This is what the commandment protects us against. We have to have people in leadership in our churches and our families that are telling the truth. Otherwise, we are in grave danger. So that's what it protects us from. But here's, here's kind of the deeper issue that gets to the heart of the gospel uh, that Jesus really gets to <laughs> about lying. And here we're getting away from the ancient uh, original context, but it's all to do with lying. I think it applies and does. As Jesus says in John chapter 8, Pharisees are given a hard time saying he's misrepresenting God. And he says, you know what? No, I'm representing God because I am from God. You are misrepresenting God. You are representing the evil one who is the father of lies. What does this commandment protect us from? Evil. Satan. Jesus said it himself that the devil is the father of lies of lies. And so this commandment, if it protects us from anything, it will protect us from evil as we embrace the truth. I don't really like to, I don't like to talk about Satan and evil that much because as, as we speak more about it, we give it more power. Um, and sometimes people, even Christians, fall into the idea that we're a dualistic religion. We are not a dualistic religion. We are not a yin and yang um, that, that's Eastern. It, we're not. God is all-powerful. There's evil in the world, and we're clear about that. Um, opposing God, but it's, it's an opposition that doesn't stand a candle against God. God is almighty, right? Um, and so we don't need to give the devil more power. But if we want to kind of understand the power of evil in the world, the primary power of evil in the world is lies. Think about, in the beginning, and then the serpent came along and what? Told lies. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 8, he is the father of lies. The devil can't make you do anything, but if the devil can get you to believe a lie, you'll do just about anything. You hear me, folks? I, I really I actually think as we think about evil in the world, that is the primary power of evil in the world, is to make people Individuals believe lies. So when we embrace the truth, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As we embrace truth, we are protected from lies. <clears throat> I want to tell you, there, there are, it's, it's actually simple. It's, there are three main categories of lies that evil tries us to get us to believe. And you need to be on guard. You need to be ready for these. If you come to church here, you already know what they are. 
The first category of lies, the primary way the evil will try to get you to believe lies, is lies about who you are. There's two sides of that coin. There's one side that says, I'm not worth anything. I'm unlovable. I'm no good. Everyone's better than me. I'm dirt, right? I'm not, I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of anybody's love. Shame is the word for that. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. We need to be clear about that. But the other side of that coin, if evil can't get you to believe that, you know what it'll tell you? You're better than everybody else. All those other people, psh, you work harder than them. You look better than them. You make more money than them. You deserve it all. You did it all by yourself. Look at you. We call that one pride. And that one's just as dangerous. Evil will try to make you believe the lie about yourself. Don't believe it. What is the truth about yourself, what the gospel tells you? You were created in the image of God. You were chosen to become into this world by God. You were loved by God. You were created in his image, and you are destined, invited. God did everything in his power to get you to come back into the family, to reconcile with you. You have immeasurable worth, and yet you're not better than anybody else. There's nothing you can do to make you better than the worst human. Everyone is made in the image of God. And in fact, if you want to be great, then you must serve. That's the gospel truth that counters the lie. Are we on board with that? That's category number one. You need to know about these lies and the truth. We're going to talk about not bearing false witness. Don't bear false witness against yourself. Don't listen to evil. All right, category number two is lies about God. Right? Evil will try to make you believe throughout your life various things about God that if you want to counteract it, just look to Jesus. He is the revelation of God in the flesh. But one of the primary ones I see <clears throat> is that God's not good. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care anything about me. And most people come to that uh, time in their lives when they are undergoing extreme pain, whether emotional or physical They've had a death, maybe death of a, a loved one younger than they should go. And they look <laughs> at the world around them and they say, see, here's evidence that God can't be good or love me. And friend, it's a lie. That will push us farther and farther away from God. But the truth of the matter is, is that God took on flesh and dwelt among us, and God himself took on suffering and pain in order to reconcile us. That God's not a vending machine that we just all get, you know, candy in this life. God came to rescue and redeem us, and he suffered. God's not above it. God's not, didn't just stay up in, you know, comfort. He came incarnationally and took on poverty and suffering and retribution for us. And so that we can never look at God and say, you don't know, you don't love me, you don't know what suffering's like, because God does. It's a lie that will try to push you away from God. Don't listen to it. A third category of lies are the lies of division. Evil in the world will try to tell you, look at those people. 
They're no good. Look at those people. They don't deserve that. They don't belong here. They're dispensable. Get them out of here. They're causing trouble. Those people, it's the lies of division that evil in the world is always, always, always trying to separate people, trying to divide them. Why? Then it can conquer, right? Divide and conquer. And so evil in the world causes destruction by saying those people, God doesn't love them. They're not even human. And it's a lie that will lead you into all sorts of sin. I don't always like to go to the extreme case of Nazi Germany. But what allowed seemingly normal people in Germany to go along with exterminating an entire race of people? It was the lie that they weren't human, that they didn't belong, and that they were the problem. Do you see how evil was at work spreading a lie that led to grave sin? We need to be on guard against the lie. What does the gospel say? God loves everyone equally. He, is no, uh, he shows no favor on anyone. God died through Jesus Christ so that all may live and that we, we owe all people the same love and concern that we show God. Remember commandment number two. We can go back to it. All right. Those are three categories of lies that are deadly. And evil is always trying to perpetrate on us. Satan is the father of lies. And so commandment number nine is we seek to embrace the truth and never to speak lies will protect us from evil. All right. I haven't started preaching yet. Let me get to the third point. All right, so let's, let's go, go to Jesus and see what uh, Jesus, and especially on the Sermon on the Mount, he picks up in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Here he doesn't expressly pick up the commandment as he did elsewhere in the commandments, um, but he does pick up how we use our words and to speak truthfully. And so it, it fits, I think he had commandment 9 in regards as we look at Matthew chapter 5, <laughs> starting verse 33. And this is what he says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for that is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of us wish we had that power. Amen. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. Do you notice Jesus understands a strong connection by the words and the truthfulness of our speech in Satan, right? The father of lies. He brings it up here in Matthew chapter 5 as well. Basically what Jesus, and we don't do this <laughs> so much in our uh, culture, mainly because of uh, the, the import of Scripture and Jesus' teaching here. But in the past, it wouldn't have been so, such a big deal if you wanted to really reinforce your oath to, to swear as you said, on the, by heaven or by earth or, or you know, the gold in the treasury or, or even on, you know, people say, I swear on my life that... Yeah, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and here Jesus is, it's kind of really common sense. You don't need me to interpret it for you. Basically, he's saying that if you are my disciple, your word should always be truthful. Your word should always carry the meaning and the power that they intend. So you don't need to swear. In fact, by swearing, what he's referencing by the connection of the evil one is basically saying if you need to back up some of your speech with oaths like that, that means some of your other speech isn't too trustworthy, right? Uh, and so that all of your speech needs to be true and trustworthy, and so you should have no need to swear. I, I don't think Jesus, I don't, I know Jesus wasn't legalistic at all. That was the Pharisees, and so I, I wouldn't, if you ever stand before a judge in the courtroom, you can promise or you can affirm whatever your conscience tells you. I don't really think that it's wrong to say, you know, I, I swear to tell the truth. Uh, you're just affirming that you will. So I, I don't think we need to get tripped up on that. Jesus' main interest here is that your words always be trustworthy, that you as a disciple of Christ have to embrace the truth. You have to speak the truth. You have to represent the truth. And so you should always be trusted. You shouldn't have to back up your words with oaths. Pretty common sense. Why? Because your words should be powerful. They are powerful. All right. <coughs> so, pastor, should we just be walking around truth robots, you know, spitting out computer facts to everyone? I know that's the question you were asking, wasn't it, right? No. The problem is, is that if you just say, oh, I'm going to embrace the truth, and you just go dispensing your truth to everyone, uh, people are going to tune you out real quick, right? As we think about this commandment, we're thinking about how we speak for the health of others in the public. And sometimes you can be speaking the truth and yet you can be hurting others. And that is not allowed. That, in fact, is prohibited by Scripture. I had a... I, I was just reminded of my grandfather's saying uh, this morning. He used to tell me, uh, Andrew, no use being dumb unless you show it once in a while. And I love you too, Grandpa. Thank you. <laughs> he, was, he was fun to full old facts like that. But I, I showed my... Uh, this week, I was... Um, I like to take care of the cars. I like to vacuum them out, you know. And, uh, I, 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 you know, it's sometimes fun. I don't do it as often as I should. But just a few days ago, I vacuumed them out. And, and Rebecca and her family had gone hiking and got a little, you know, understandably dirty, a little muddy in there. And uh, I just, you know, said, oh, I see you got it dirty again, right? How do you think that worked out for me? <laughs> I was speaking the truth. But that truth was selfish. That truth was to say, basically, I guess I have to vacuum it out again. Thank you, right? I wasn't speaking the truth to build her up. It was for my own selfish gain. As we think about embracing the truth, as we think about speaking the truth, we also have to remember that Scripture says it's not just about stating true facts. Our speech has to be encouraging and uplifting. That there is, in fact, speaking of truths that are just as much of a sin as lying, right? When I was growing up, I don't, maybe, you know, I was learning. I was a young child. I thought gossip was only untruths. 
I thought gossip was just spending, spreading false rumors. Um, and one time my dad and my parents called me in and said, hey, has so-and-so been talking about so-and-so? And I was kind of, it was, we were a teenage youth group, and, and I was like, well, yeah, because it's true. And my parents said, no, you don't talk about people's sins like that around their back. It is still gossip, right? We can still speak the truth and be tearing down the community and others, and that is just as much of a sin. Gossip in a community is just as deadly as telling a lie, right? So you don't, we don't talk about others and say, oh, it, it really happened. This is firsthand knowledge, so I can tell you it's trustworthy. Is it gossip? Are you denigrating someone's reputation? Are you tearing them down by telling the truth? If so, that is prohibited speech as well. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. It's a simple verse. Paul simply says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Right? What Paul has an aim here is don't go around spreading truth that is tearing down people or harming the community or really just making people depressed about what's going on. Right? If we are spreading speech that is degrading of anything or anyone, right, that is not necessary, then Paul says, don't do it. It's unwholesome talk. Our mind, our speech, as we go around, we need to think about, is it necessary? Now, we'll have to say some hard things to people. We will. But if we're doing that to build them up because it is necessary according to their needs, as Paul says, then we need to do it and we'll speak the truth in love, he says. But if it's not for building someone up, if it's not according to their needs, don't say it, right? It's better to be silent that way. Why? Because the words we say matter. And that person, maybe unbeknownst to you, has made it right with God and really has been trying their best to get on the straight path. And then you're spreading about what they did and their sins. And then they're going to hear about that and it's going to tear them right back down. Your words have power. Don't do it. Only let your speech be uplifting for others. I, think, I really do think this is not that much of a stretch from bearing false witness against your neighbor because the commandment had to do solely with how our speech either hurts or benefits the community. And gossip and talking about people, just tearing things down needlessly hurts the community. All right, so let's have a little bit of fun uh, as we kind of wrap this up, though. Because if you ever want to have fun in the Bible, just turn to the book of James, and he will tell you it straight. Um, we can't, I can't get off this subject. The Lord won't let me let go right yet until we look at uh, James. Uh, James says this in the first chapter, verse 26. You're, I love. He says, if anybody thinks they're religious, if anybody thinks they're spiritual and they do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Have you read James lately? He says says some pretty direct things. He says, if you can't bridle, if someone can't bridle their tongue, if they can't control their tongue, the Holy Spirit, 
and they talk a big religious game and a big spiritual game, it's worthless. It's not true. It's all a charade. They are fooling themselves. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can give you power to control your tongue, and you should. It's worthless. If you want to read the next verse just so you know, okay, pastor, what does James say is religion that is worthwhile? Spirituality is worthwhile? The epistle of James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's a whole nother sermon. But notice Paul, I mean, uh, James here is basically saying, those who talk a big game that can't control their mouths, look at the people who are putting their faith into action, caring for others. Um, so I think that should alarm us, right? <laughs> that Boy, okay, my words carry power. James says my religion is worthless if I don't control my tongue. He goes on, chapter 3, he really talks about the power of words. And um, I'm just going to let some of his words uh, lay on our hearts. I won't speak too much about it, but I think it is it's very good for us, a good reminder in our culture today. Chapter 3, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea and creature can be tamed as has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth cannot come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Did you catch what he's saying there? First, he says, we as Christians have to respect the deadliness of our words. Here, once again, he connects the power of our words with the power of hell and Satan, right? That the tongue is a fire. Fire can be a good thing, but it can be a destructive thing. In our world today, we need to hear from Twitter and Facebook and social media and news, our words seem to count for nothing. People can say whatever they want and just throw it out there. And for us as disciples of Christ, we need to hear that our words mean something and they better mean something. Because the tongue is a fire, he says, and a fire is to be greatly respected. But notice what he goes on to say, and I think this gets to the heart of the gospel. He says, you're trying to, he's talking to a congregation here, but it's good for all of us. You're trying to praise God and thank God, talk a big religious game, but then you're cursing people. He simply says, who are made in the likeness of God. Do you hear what he's saying? Remember commandment number two when we talked about how you treat others is how you treat God? That's exactly what James is saying, is that when you are cursing, when you're belittling other people, you might as well be belittling God because they are made in his image. 
You are denigrating the image of God when you talk about people, when you curse people like that. Do any of us really want to try to curse and belittle God? Then don't try to curse and belittle other people by tearing them down. For every human is made in the likeness of God. The tongue is a fire. I hope we realize the power of our words. And I hope uh, some of us may be thinking, boy, uh, uh, Pastor, I don't want to say anything now. That may be a good line for us, <laughs> some of us to hold sometimes, pastors included. Before, uh, James was just saying, uh, not many of you should be teachers because teachers will be judged harsher than others, um, in which I used to read that as a teenager, but like, I don't think I want to go into the ministry. Um, but it's probably worse if I'm called and don't go. It was for Jonah. I want us as the people of God to hear. We need to respect and guard the power of our words. That when people hear us say yes or no, it needs to mean something. When people need to hear what's coming out of our mouth, it better be building something up. It better be wholesome speech for the betterment of others, right? Because we will be held accountable. There's an awesome power in it. But I don't want us walking away scared or downtrodden or, oh, words, they're going to get me, uh, you know. Oh, because words are also a powerful gift given by God. Do you know with your mouth you can make right your relationship with God? You have that power. The scripture says that if we are faithful to confess our sins and declare Jesus as Lord, in our lives, with our mouths, we will be saved. That is incredible power with our words. That with your mouth, you have the power to make right things, right things between you and God. Think about that. That's incredible. You'd almost be tempted to say abracadabra, right? You'd almost be true. With your mouth, if you have a, a family division happening, if you have something against someone or someone has been speaking bad about you, you have the ability and the calling to go to that person and with the words that you say to reconcile and offer forgiveness and change that relationship. Do you realize that power? What a blessing that is. Do you realize that if you see someone going through a hard time carrying a heavy burden, someone mourning a loved one and you send a card or you send your condolences or, or you speak a word of comfort and peace, do you realize the change you can bring about in that person's life in that day? That is incredible power that we're called to. And you'd almost be tempted to say abracadabra when you see the change, right? Our words our powerful tool. And as Christians, we are called to use them for blessing and to draw people closer to the love of Jesus Christ. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Speak truthfully. Speak honestly and speak lovingly. And when you see the results of that in your life, you may be tempted to think it's magic, but it's not. It is the power of God working through you, using you to bless others. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, in these moments as we respond to your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. May you wipe away any cobwebs of lies in our life that we may be believing, that we may be living, that we may be speaking. And would you speak the word of truth to us in these moments, and may we be faithful to hear and respond according to your will. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion, <laughs> we, we believe in open communion, that you don't have to be a member here to partake in communion. But we do ask is simply that you have made a decision, that you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I think some of us may be saying, I'm still thinking about James and who can control the tongue. I'm here to say when you come to Christ, when you give your life over to Christ and you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, God can give you the power to guard your tongue. That you can't control your tongue. If you're still operating under your own power, your mouth will cause fires all around you. But if you give your mouth, if you give your life over to Jesus Christ, he can work through you. He can control your speech. So can I ask you, have you done that in your life? If you've been struggling, if your words have been causing damage, if you've been believing lies, turn to Christ, give it over to him, and the Holy Spirit is faithful to cleanse you of that and to free you from that. And for all of us, all of us Christians that have given our lives over to him, we are invited to the table to receive God's grace and strength so that we can continue bearing the truth in a world that embraces the lie. That we have to stay connected to Christ to be in the truth and know the truth. So I hope you're thinking about this as you come and partake in communion today, that you are in some way receiving the strength to bear the truth when the truth can be unpopular. That if you stray too far from Jesus, the lie will overtake you. On the night our Lord was betrayed, after having given thanks, breaking the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat whenever you do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup, the covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do in remembrance of me. I'd ask you to also to use this time as a time of prayer to speak to God. Allow him to speak to you. The altars are open if you'd like to pray about anything, and I'm happy to pray with you as well. But come receive the grace of Jesus Christ the truth of the world. Let us continue in time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for rescuing us from the lie. We thank you for speaking the truth into the world by your Son. And I pray that we would embrace that truth, that we would live in that truth, that we would always stay close to Christ that we would never believe the lies and that we in all of our words and our actions would live out that truth as we seek to follow Christ. 
May we be a people here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene that use our words to bless others. Use our words to draw others to Jesus Christ. Use others to build others up, Lord, and to encourage and to strengthen. May this be a community of the truth in all of our dealings and all of our actions and all of our ministries, Lord. Would people come to know the truth through our ministry here? May you lead us to show us how best we can love others and to spread the, the good news of the gospel, Lord. And so we do lift up our church ministries and ask that you would bless them, that you would give us wisdom and how to manage them and, and to increase them. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless the preschool and the recovery ministries and the food pantry, Lord, and all the ways we try to reach out into the community. And we pray that you'd expand those efforts, Lord. We lift up those who are struggling today, those that have a family division that needs healing. We pray that the word of truth and of kindness and love would bring healing in those situations. May you convict hearts draw people closer to yourself and to one another in those situations. For those that are carrying a heavy burden uh, for a loved one that is sick, and we think of uh, uh, LaDonna, uh, Ron and Janice's niece, Lord, and, and her uh, carrying a return of the cancer. May you remove the cancer from her body. Would you continue to strengthen her, encourage her spirit, Lord, and free her from this disease? We pray for those that are recovering from surgery or looking towards surgery, Heavenly Father. We think of uh, those that are dealing with weakness and pain. We think of Pam Daniels and, and the many others, Marie Penner. Strengthen their bodies and spirits, Lord. We lift up those who are carrying unspoken burden requests, whatever they may be. For those in our families and our friend circles that don't know you, that are still living in the lie, Lord, we pray that maybe through something we say or someone else says, would draw them into the truth of Jesus, and that you'd set them free, Heavenly Father. We lift up our church leaders to you, and we pray for uh, Greg Mason, our district superintendent. Bless him, encourage him, Lord, and give him wisdom and grace to carry out his duties. We, we lift up the, the global church to you, those who are suffering in the family of faith right now. May your strength be upon them. For those that are risking it all for the gospel, for the proclamation of your word. Provide for them. Protect them, we pray. Advance your kingdom all across the globe, Heavenly Father. And may we be a part of that and support that work. We lift up our local and our state leaders and our national leaders, Lord. May you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties. And may we promote peace and justice wherever we can. Lord, we love you. We always want to live in the truth. Keep us in the truth. Convict us with the truth and encourage us by your word as we go from this place. Help us to pray, saying together as you taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, <laughs> glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me?
You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If you know Jesus Christ, you know the truth or are in the truth. I hope you enjoy that. I hope you know the freedom that ha- that has given you. And I pray that you would be the people that live in that freedom and share that freedom with all those around you.